My name is Jordan, and I am one of the pastors here at eFree. It is so great to be with you all here today. If you are a guest with us, I hope that you're doing well this morning. hope that you find our church is welcoming and inviting that you find a place to belong with us. Hello to everybody here in the auditorium. Hello to everybody over in the venue, and hello to anybody watching online. So glad you could join us together today. So we are continuing our series we started last week called Citizens of Another Kingdom. We're talking about how do we live as citizens of another kingdom, that we live in a better kingdom um, than what this world offers. How do we live in that kingdom? And today's message is called an already but not yet kingdom. It's an already but not yet kingdom. You go, what do you mean it's already but not yet? So let me give you a couple of examples of things in our world that are already but sometimes not yet. So I heard a pastor once talk about seasons. He talked about how seasons are an already but not yet thing. So on your calendar on March 20th, it'll say to you that it is spring. It says officially the first day of spring on March 20th. But you go outside on March 21st or on April 1st or sometimes on May 1st. And what you find is not spring. So for me, when I expect spring, I expect there to be birds singing. I expect there to be grass turning green. I expect there to be flowers blooming. I want the weather to be 72 to 74 degrees. This is what I want out of my spring. But you go out there on March 21st, and nobody told Nebraska that it's springtime. And there's five inches of, of snow. And you go, wait a minute, I thought it's already spring. Where is the spring? Well, it is spring. It's already here, but the fullness of spring is yet to come. That as we get later into spring, more towards the end of May, you experience the fullness of spring, the birds singing, the grass turning green, the flowers blooming. You experience these things. And so that's an example of an already but not yet uh, experience. But there's another one. So a group of doctors were looking around the world, and they looked at Botswana, Africa. And they said there are these five villages in Botswana, Africa that had no access to health care, no clinic, no hospital, nothing. That if someone got sick there or injured, they had to travel a long distance in order to get any sort of medical care. And this broke their hearts. So they said, we're going to make a difference here. So they flew to Botswana, Africa, and they found the intersection of these five villages, and they began to build a hospital. They had a groundbreaking ceremony. They got their shovels out, they shoveled some dirt, and they announced that a hospital was coming. But instead of getting in their cars and then driving to the airport and flying home and waiting for the hospital to be built, they began to run a clinic. There was no hospital yet, but they began to see patients, began to tell people, hey, you can come, we'll care for you. And they told those people when they cared for them, sent them back to their villages, sent them back to their homes, said, hey, let people know that there is care here, that there is help here. Let them know they can come back here, that though the hospital is yet to be fully formed, there's already help here. We're already here. And so there's a couple examples of an already but not yet thing. And so this morning we're going to talk about how the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet fully here. The kingdom is already here, but also not yet fully established. And then as kingdom citizens, people who love Jesus, have surrendered our lives to Jesus, trust him, we should strive to believe and live rightly in alignment with God's kingdom as we wait for it to be fully established. That as we wait for it to be fully established, we should be kingdom citizens who live in this kingdom that is already here, even as we wait for the fullness of it to come. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into uh, the verses for today. 
Father God, I thank you for your kingdom. God, thank you that it is here now, that you have made a way for us to experience the kingdom now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that and to know that in our hearts, that we would not wait until we die to enter into a kingdom, but we'd experience it now. We would enjoy it now, and also we would look for ways to share it now. God, would you please help me to be clear and concise here this morning. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So I want to start by giving you the definition we gave last week of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is the beautiful reign of God in the lives of men, women, and children, and in systems that conform to his will. So it's God's reign and rule in the lives of men, women, and children who have surrendered themselves and trusted in Jesus. But then that reign also exists inside systems that are conforming to God's will, that they're operating with the principles of the kingdom, operating with the values of the kingdom desires to see grow here on earth. And so I'll give you some examples of those at the end of the message. But as we begin here, I want to give you the first takeaway, which is the kingdom of God is already here. The kingdom of God is already here. That again, we don't have to wait until we die to enter into the kingdom. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to enter the kingdom. The kingdom is here, and as kingdom citizens, we can live in it now. So let me give you some examples here where we see the kingdom's already here. So in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So it's towards the back of your Bible. because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you land in Matthew, fantastic. You're already where you need to be. If you get to Mark, Luke, or John, you're too far to the right. Go to the left, and you will find Matthew. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So you have this guy named John the Baptist. And his role was to go before Jesus, that he showed up before Jesus showed up. And he was preparing God's people to receive Jesus as Messiah, as Savior. And so he was out in the wilderness in this region called Judea, and he was telling them, repent, to turn away from their sin, turn back towards God, because the kingdom of heaven had come near. The kingdom of heaven was here. That he wanted them to know that they could enter into the kingdom. Now they could get into it. And this is 2,000 years ago. So you better believe if 2,000 years ago people could get into the kingdom, we can still do it now. If 2,000 years ago people could live in the kingdom, we can live in it now. And so the rest of it was this fulfillment of prophecy that they're wanting, uh, so Matthew is wanting his readers to know that John is the fulfillment of this prophecy that was made about this voice calling in the wilderness, that it's John who is preparing the people to enter the kingdom. Well, when Jesus begins his ministry, if you turn the page to chapter 4, And you look at verse 17, Jesus begins his ministry and he says the same thing. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. He wants them to know that you can enter into the kingdom, that it's present, it's here on earth. You can enter into it. You can experience it. 
It's not a far off kingdom. It's not a kingdom that he says, you know, get ready for it. When you die, you're going to go into it. And we're saying here, now, the kingdom is here. And then in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 4, he begins to display the power of the kingdom. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus is in this region, or state, if you will, of Galilee, and he's traveling from city to city, town to town, and he's teaching them and sharing with them the good news that he's come to forgive sins, come to rescue and to redeem for those that would trust and believe and follow him. But he doesn't just invite them to enter into the kingdom, invite them to enter into salvation. He also meets their physical needs. It says that he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then in verse 24, it says, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And so Jesus begins to give a glimpse into the fullness of the kingdom. That in the fullness of the kingdom, what we'll get to in a minute, there is no more sickness, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering. He's giving a glimpse of what the kingdom is going to be like as he heals as he rescues, as he frees. He's giving a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. And so as kingdom citizens who live in this kingdom now, we may not have the ability to heal, but we have the ability to comfort. So we come alongside those that are suffering, come alongside those that are grieving, that are mourning, that are sick, that are in severe pain, that are possessed or oppressed, and we comfort. We give them the hope that we have through Jesus. We do what we can to alleviate the pain, the suffering that they have, if it's within our power to do that. We help. And so the kingdom of God is already here. It's already here. So would you, would you say that with me? Would you say already here? Okay, ready? There we go, okay. It's already here. It's not far off. It's not something we're waiting for. We can live in it now. But at the same time, we get to the second takeaway, that the fullness of the kingdom of God is not yet here. The fullness of the kingdom of God and all that is going to be is not yet here. This is why we experience the disappointment that we read about in the Bible that it should be this way, but it's not yet that way. It's because the fullness of the kingdom is not yet here. So we, we see this in 1 John 3, 2. It'll be up on the screens. You can follow along up there if you don't want to turn in your Bibles. But John is writing, and he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we're told now, right now, present tense, we are children of God, but then we're told what's coming has not been yet made known to us, what we will be when Jesus appears. So we see the fullness of the kingdom comes with the reappearance of Jesus. When Jesus returns at his second coming, that's when the fullness of the kingdom comes. So we have this already, we're already children of God, but the fullness of what that means is yet to be realized in our lives because Jesus hasn't returned. But we 
wait with hope. Especially those of us that are sick or have some sort of disability, we wait with hope knowing and longing that there's coming a day when all will be made right in us. All will be made right in those that we love and we care about, all those that we walk alongside. We know this day is coming for those who trust and love Jesus that all will be made right. And so we wait and we long for the fullness of the kingdom to come. We also see the fullness in Revelation 21, verses three through four. So in Revelation 21, John is this vision of the future and he sees uh, this new Jerusalem coming down and being established here on earth. And you see the fullness of the kingdom being established on earth. In verse three, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so you get this glimpse of what life is going to be like in the kingdom when the fullness of the kingdom comes. So the first thing we're told is that God himself is going to dwell physically among us. Now, God already dwells inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit that this is the down payment of the inheritance we receive as followers of Christ. But there's coming a day when physical Jesus outside of us will live with us that my hope is we'll walk with him, we'll be able to hug him, to see him, to talk with him, we'll be able to experience all of the fullness of that. And this is a reminder of what the Garden of Eden was like. That it appears in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve got to walk with God in the garden. Got to have that sort of relationship and that relationship is fully restored when the kingdom is fully established. And so we long for this time when we get to talk to God face to face like a friend talks to a friend. When we get to walk beside him like we walk with our friends. But then we're also told that he's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The way that they are now will have passed away. When the fullness of the kingdom comes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, no more disease or sickness. And so when Jesus comes, he begins to heal and show the power of the kingdom. But it is a a taste, a preview of what is to fully come when the kingdom fully arrives. And then the last thing that is hinted at here and, and directly talked about in other parts of Revelation is that evil will be no more. Evil will be fully and completely and utterly and totally defeated. So right now, evil is defeated, but it is still fighting back as it loses. But we can have victory over it. But there's coming a day when total victory, where there is no more evil, no more suffering, no more pain, no more of any of that will be here. And so we long for the fullness of the kingdom. But even as we long for the fullness of the kingdom, we live with that in mind, knowing that we as kingdom citizens, we can push back darkness. We can look for places where we can fight against evil because evil has been defeated. We can look for places where we can help those that are suffering because God comforts those who mourn, comforts those who suffer. 
We, when we are suffering, know that we can be comforted because God is establishing a kingdom where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. So that leads to our third takeaway. And our third takeaway is that as kingdom citizens, we should both believe rightly and live rightly in agreement with God's kingdom. That as people who are citizens of the kingdom, that we have trusted and believed in Jesus, we have surrendered our lives to him, we should not just sit here and wait for heaven, but instead we should live rightly as kingdom citizens. And it starts with right belief that then leads to right action or right living. So in Colossians 1, 9 through 14, it says this. Paul is writing to the Colossian church and he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He says, we want you to believe rightly. We want you to be filled with the right knowledge. We want you to know how to live as a kingdom citizen. We want you to know what's been purchased for you as a kingdom citizen. We want you to know what the kingdom is like, what God is like. We want you to be filled with all this knowledge so that you believe rightly. And then in verse 10, he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit and every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He says, we want you to have this knowledge so that you will live a life worthy of the Lord, that you'll live in alignment, in agreement with how God has designed us and wired us to live here as kingdom citizens. That the knowledge should lead to right living. That I, I think too often we think that being a Christian is about checking and agreeing with boxes. Like, do I believe that Jesus is God? Do I believe that he was raised from the dead? That, that is right, and that's important, but it should lead us someplace. And it should not just lead us to a waiting room where we wait to die to get to heaven. It should lead us to action. It should lead to us loving our neighbors loving our coworkers. It should lead to a place where we say that if we see evil, we want to push it back in, our, in ourselves when we see evil inside of us. We see things that shouldn't be there that lurk inside of us. We should say, we want to put this to death because we're going to live as kingdom citizens in a kingdom where there is no evil. And so I want to live now without that inside of me to the best of my ability. I want to put it to death so that I don't carry that anymore because I've been freed from it. That we should look in our neighborhoods and say, is there places that I can help to push back the darkness here where things are not the way they're supposed to be? that maybe there's things that are wrong in your workplaces or wrong in your school that you can say, I can do something about this. I can't change the whole system. I can't change everything that's going on, but I can change something. That I have this person that I see in this class that gets mistreated and I could speak up about it. Or I know I have this coworker that's going through something and I could walk beside them, encourage them, and be there for them. So in verse 11, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. 
So knowledge leads to right living, which then leads to God strengthening us and encouraging us and helping us to persevere as we live out as kingdom citizens. And we have to live with patience because it is hard. It is hard to know that the world is not supposed to be this way. When you sit down with someone who has a cancer diagnosis and you know the world is not supposed to be this way. When you sit down with someone who they were abandoned by this person or that person who made commitments to them and you go, the world's not supposed to be this way. Or you sit down with someone who's been mistreated and abused and neglected and you go, the world is not supposed to be this way and you read about a kingdom where it's not going to be that way, you need patience. And you need to experience endurance because it is hard and it is painful because you cry out and you say, God, it's not supposed to be this way. And he says, I know. He says, hold on, because my kingdom is going to be fully established and it will not be that way. But in the meantime, be a light. Be a beacon of hope that says it's not always going to be this way. Verse 12, he says, in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, if you live a life where you understand the knowledge of what God has done for you, which then leads to this life of living out what God is doing here on earth through you, which then leads to this endurance and patience and perseverance, then it will produce in you this gratefulness, this gratitude that God moved you from a kingdom and a dominion of darkness to a kingdom of light. To say, I do not have to live anymore in a kingdom without hope. I don't have to live in a kingdom anymore where I feel like there is no future. But instead, I live in a kingdom where there is hope no matter what the circumstance. I live in a kingdom where there is a good future. I live in a kingdom where there is a God who is helping, who a God who does not abandon his people, but instead he took on the human form and he came to earth and he bled and he died for them. That is who my God is. And that creates gratitude to say, you would do this for me. You would do this for the people that I love. You would do this for my neighbors, for my coworkers. You would do this for them. That is an incredible king and he has an incredible kingdom. And I get to be in that kingdom because he has transferred me because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is an incredible kingdom. But how does this kingdom come? How does this kingdom come here on earth? Does it come through force? Does it come through forcing people to accept this king? Does it come through forcing people to believe and to trust? It does not. So in John 6, 15, uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people with fish and loaves. So this one boy has this meal of a few loaves of bread, a few fishes, and he gives it to Jesus and Jesus multiplies it to feed thousands and thousands and thousands. It's the greatest catering moment in all of human history. And they, they eat and they eat and they eat and they eat until they're full and there's leftovers 
Now, I could be wrong, but I imagine that doesn't happen very often in this time period, if ever. And so they go, who is this guy that can feed thousands of people? Like, who is this man? And they say, this guy should be king. Like, what we need to do is we need to form an army, and we need to overthrow Rome, and we need to put this guy on the throne. And in John 6, 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. To, by himself. That he sees the crowds and he knows their desire, their will, is we are going to force people to follow him. We are going to become a mob, an army, whatever we have to do to, be, to force the people around us to follow him, to recognize him and to accept him. And he goes, this is not how my kingdom comes. And he walks off into the mountains by himself. Other versions, of the, uh, other uh, places in the gospel says to pray. Then later on in John eighteen thirty six, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, Pilate is putting him on trial and trying to figure out why do these Jewish religious leaders want to kill you so bad? And in John eighteen thirty six, Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders." But now my kingdom is from another place. So here's what he means. He says, if my kingdom was like all the other kingdoms of the world. He said, if my kingdom was a kingdom that was enforced by who has the most people, who has the most power, he says, then my followers, my servants, they'd be fighting, knocking down these doors to free me. He said, but my kingdom isn't like that. My kingdom is here on earth, but it's not like the other kingdoms of this world. My kingdom is a kingdom that people choose to enter in because they see the scars of its savior. They see the scars of its king. My kingdom is a kingdom people enter in because they experience the love of the kingdom citizens as they display the love of their king. It says my kingdom is not a kingdom that's forced on people, but they freely choose to enter into it. They freely choose to bend their knee and to say, you are my king now. And this is the kingdom that I want to be a part of. So what's left of our time, I want to share with you three examples of this kind of kingdom. So the first example comes from Seoul, South Korea. And there is a man in Seoul, South Korea, and his name is Lee Jong-Rock, and he's a pastor. And in Seoul, South Korea, there um, are estimates of an upward of a, a thousand babies that are abandoned on the streets of South Korea, whether it is in trash cans or cardboard boxes or on steps. These babies are abandoned. And Pastor Lee saw this and he said, this, is, this evil cannot go on anymore. He said, I, I need to do something about this. And so he created a drop box that if people were going to abandon their baby, they could put it in this drop box and one side opens to the street for the the mother or the father to put the baby in on the inside, it opens to his home where he and his wife and volunteers can care for these babies. And Pastor Lee said this about why he created the Dropbox. He said, human beings are not trash. They are not garbage. They are not to be thrown away. They are not to be abandoned. They have the right to live. It is a box that was designed to save and rescue those lives. So Pastor Lee has this kingdom principle that everyone's life has value and worth. That many of these babies that are abandoned have some sort of physical or mental disability. 
And so in that um, setting, for whatever reason, they're saying these, these lives do not have the same value as if they were, were like everybody else. But Pastor Lee says, no, these, these human beings, they have value, they have worth, they matter. They were created in the image of God. They matter, and someone needs to show them that they matter. Someone needs to care for them because God cares for these babies. And she creates this box. Well, little does Pastor Lee know that around the world, there's a film student named Brian Ivey who's in Los Angeles, and he's in film school. And while he's in film school, he hears about Pastor Lee's story. And so he goes, that would be a great documentary. And so he flies to South Korea, to Seoul, and he begins to leave, live with Pastor Lee. And this is what Brian Ivey says about his time with Pastor Lee and seeing what Pastor Lee was doing. He says, I became a Christian while making this film. Christianity for me was kind of a label for me. It was decorative. It was something I did because I wasn't a Muslim or a Jew. I was a Christian. It was something I wore like a Christmas sweater. I wanted to know where all the love came from that made this man, Pastor Lee, do what he did. So he said, what he means by what he just said there was, it was just a, a label that I was a Christian because I would, lived in the United States and I wasn't Muslim or I wasn't Jewish. But it had no impact on my life. It made no difference in my life. That I just thought it was what it was because of where I was born. But then he goes and he sees the love of Christ through Pastor Lee. He experiences the kingdom of God through what Pastor Lee is doing, and he says, I want what he has. I don't want to just check a box that says I'm a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to enter into this kingdom. And so he becomes a Christian through this. But let's go closer to home. So Compassion International is an incredible organization that runs on kingdom principles. That they operate through these kingdom principles of every person matters. That that's the vision of our church. Every person matters. We didn't just come up with that on our own. We see that that's how Jesus Christ treats people. That's how God sees people. He sees every person is mattering. And compassion sees it the same way. And so they strive to end hunger around the world. Strive to end uh, as much as they can sickness around the world. And so they choose a location. And we've partnered with Magange, Colombia. So many of you have sponsor kids, whether it's through Compassion International in Magange or someplace else around the world, or perhaps it's through another child, child sponsorship program that you sponsor these kids. And these, the goal is to feed those that are hungry, that would otherwise might not have access to food, to heal what they can of treatable sickness, to provide education so they can uh, continue on through life, learn a skill or trade. And then also through Compassion National, they get biblical education so they can know who Jesus is, who loves them so much. And so you get to play a part in that as a sponsor, as helping to provide through these needs, but also writing letters to say, we love you, we care about you, we believe in you. We're excited to hear about what God is doing in your life, that you're gonna be a tangible expression of God's love for them. And so if you have a compassion uh, boy or girl, I encourage you to write to them today. Take some time to write to them. 
to remind them that God loves them and God cares about them. And so again, these are, it's a kingdom principle, the system that is living out the principles of the kingdom through the way that they do ministry or they do their business, they operate their business. Now, the last one is really close to home. It's the International Friendship Program. So UNK has an International Friendship Program. And UNK, uh, what they, we have students from all over the globe, all over the globe that come to UNK to go to college. And many of these students will never enter into a home of someone in Kearney, Nebraska or in the United States. They'll come to UNK, they'll be in their dorms, they'll move around town, but they will never enter into a home. And many of them have left behind their families and their country of origin. My guess is most of them left behind their friends and they're here on their own. And they struggle with loneliness. Like you think about how homesick you'd be if you lived in another culture where everything is different where the primary language that you spoke is now the second or third or language that nobody else speaks. And so they're lonely. And they're looking for people to invite them into their home for a meal, to help them understand what culture is like here in the United States in Kearney, Nebraska. And so what I love about the International Friendship Program is that so many people in our church have used the International Friendship Program as a way to share the kingdom with people, to show the hospitality of the kingdom, that God welcomes us in, not just to his home, but to his family. He says, there is room for you here. He says, there's a place for you here. He says, you can find a home with me here. And so the International Friendship Program is just a, a short, small opportunity to say to someone that God has brought from around the globe, to say, hey, let me show you the hospitality of the kingdom. Let me invite you into my home for a meal. Or I know that some people, they invite their students over to do their laundry, or they invite them over for Christmas or Thanksgiving or other holidays. And it's just this great opportunity to say that God cares about those that are on the margins. That when Jesus came, he cared about those that felt like they were outsiders. And I don't know Specifically, but I think for many in the International Friendship Program, that this is a way for them to feel like they're cared for and invited into, invited into what's going on here in Kearney. And so those are three systems that the kingdom can work through and work in here on earth. And so I would encourage you to think about where is it that God would have me be a citizen of his kingdom? Where has he planted me? Where has he placed me so that I can share the love, the grace, the hospitality, the hope, the joy? Where is it that he's placed me that I can share this with people in my life? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a classmate? Is it someone on one of my kids' sports teams? So the kingdom of God is already here, but also not yet fully established. As kingdom citizens, we should strive to believe and live rightly in alignment with God's kingdom as we wait for it to be fully established. That it's already here. We can live in it today. But we long, we wait for when it's fully established, when there's no more pain, no more evil, no more suffering, no more death. 
But in the meantime, we live rightly and we believe rightly with that kingdom. So the Bible tells us, not literally, but the Bible tells us that it's March 20th. It's officially spring. And as we go outside, we see that there are places where there's still snow on the ground, places where there's still a cold wind blowing, where there's no birds singing. But there are places where we can hear a few birds, places where we can see the sunlight breaking through the clouds, places where there's flowers breaking through the snow. So the kingdom of God, it's already here, but it's also not quite here yet. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your love and your goodness. God, I thank you for your compassion and your kindness. Lord, thank you that your kingdom is a kingdom that is already here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in it. God, would you give us glimpses of the kingdom? Would you give us ways that we can right now here in our lives in Kearney, Nebraska, live this out? Lord, would you help us? God, it is uh, easy to live in the kingdom of the world. God, it comes naturally to us. People around us encourage us to live in that kingdom, but that kingdom, it does not have a good ending. It does not have hope. It does not have help. And so there is a better kingdom that you have transferred us to. So Lord, would you help us to be citizens of that kingdom? Would you help us to think first and foremost that we are citizens of that kingdom, a kingdom that is already, but not quite yet. Would you help us to pray for and to long for and to wait for with patience and endurance this kingdom that you will one day fully establish here on earth, where we will rejoice and be glad because there is no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more evil, and we will walk with you as a friend walks with a friend. God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Pray this all in your son's name.